Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friar Lounge Podcast, where we regularly talk in-depth about the San Diego Padres. We cover the big league club, our minor league clubs, rumors, and the NL West. Let's get started. For today's episode, episode number two of the Friar Lounge Podcast, we'll be talking about the position battles in the outfield, top pitching prospect in all of baseball, San Diego Padre Mackenzie Gore, with spring training in full gear, we'll be breaking down some of the minor leaguers in the Padres system. Also, we'll be talking about what's permeating baseball, the Astro scandal. Looking forward to getting started. I'm your host, Mark Collier, and I'll be joined by fellow baseball writers Nick Recchia. Hello, Nick. Hey, how's it going, Mark? Going great. And George Arcee. Hey, fellas, what's going on? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for joining. I also want to mention our website is FriarLounge.com. Check us out. You can also visit our Facebook group at Friar Lounge or connect with us on Twitter as well. Guys, I'm definitely excited to talk Padre baseball tonight. Let's jump right in, talk about the Padres outfield. Uh, First topic, um, you know, Tommy Pham, I think, is the the new addition, and he's he's likely to be a lock over in left field uh, this year and, and next uh, but there's a lot of, I think, calm question marks, but some excitement about the Padres' outfield. Uh, Padres this offseason picked up Trent Grisham on the outfield. Um, you know, a handful of players here to talk about: uh, Franchi Cordero, uh, Taylor Trammell, Josh Naylor, um, and of course Will Myers. Uh, lots of pieces. Uh, Nick, I'd like to get your thoughts on on the position battles that are going on in the outfield and. Uh, how do you see this shaking out, and, and what are your thoughts on some of these uh, these these players who are who are who are facing off? Yeah, so, so when you look at the twenty twenty outfield for the San Diego Padres, I think the the one given is uh, Tommy Pham, health permitting, is, is going to be your starting left fielder. So um, that definitely is something you can take to the bank on that. The other two positions uh, are a little bit more up in the air. So I. We'll say Trent Grisham was traded for by AJ Preller uh, in, in the Luis Urias Eric Lauer deal as well um, to get the first crack at a starting gig in the outfield. So so far, looks like center field is kind of his position to lose. Uh, he did play there a little bit throughout the minor leagues as well as a little bit in Milwaukee in his brief cup of coffee there. So so far so good though. Um, the speed. Looks capable of playing center. It's about the reads and the routes um, as to if he can be an above-average center fielder. The rest of the outfield is really consists of guys uh, that are really looking like right fielders, corner pieces. And that, that group's going to consist of anywhere between Will Myers and his $20 million-plus salary that's still on the roster at this point that we're taping the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Franchi Cordero, the proverbial toolbox of talent that just can't stay on the field consistently. And then a, a newly slimmed down Josh Naylor, who uh, is looking more svelte. And the bat's never been a question. It's been the inability to really look like to be a, a corner outfielder instead of a first baseman. And obviously with Eric Hosmer locking down that position for the foreseeable future, if he's going to get into the lineup without a DH in the National League, it's going to have to come in one of the corner outfield spots. But that, that's your main grouping right there. Yeah, and those backup players, Ligaris and, and Almonte, and I think both those guys are likely guys who will start in the, the uh, AAA, uh, and they're you know really uh, kind of extra pieces if there's some type of injury or something like that. But uh, no, great great analysis, Nick. I think it's there's a lot of 
excitement um, about this group, this crew, but there's just a lot of unproven. Um, you know, one guy that I've been very excited to see what he can do is, is Franchi Cordero. I think everyone is excited by his power and his speed and all the tools that he has. Um, but yeah, like you said, the guy needs to stay on the field. And, you know, I think it's fair to say if, if Franchi can get 400 plus of bats, you know, maybe 500 bats, I don't know what's possible for him based on his injury history, but you know, he seems like he's very capable of being a 2020 guy. If, if he, assuming he can stay on the field, uh, Trent Grisham, you gotta like the, what, what he brings to the table. Um, a, a bit of an unknown, but I think we've seen enough, you know, in that short stint in Milwaukee last year to, 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 to be, uh, enthusiastic about what he'll bring. George, I want to go to you and, and get your thoughts. Um, and then we can kind of have a little bit of a discussion here about, um, Maybe additional pieces here that we might be looking at. Yeah, no, of course, fellas. So first off, just super jazz that spring training's under uh, underway here. A little bummer that today's game got rained out, but uh, you guys looked at that lineup, man. It's exciting. I'm, I'm super, super jazzed for uh, these games to get underway, even though, though uh, you know, a lot of the kids will be out there, but excited to see the bats. I'm um, talking about the outfield, Mr. Tommy Pham. As we know, he's our lock. I'm excited to see this guy. If you guys have seen the interviews, this guy, he's a winner. He's a producer. He's brought the teams to win. And at the end of the day, uh, I think it's going to be a, a great addition to the team, and he's going to have a lot of guys step up their game. Uh, getting into the question marks of the outfield, uh, you know, there's two ways to look at it. You know, the, the cup is either half full or half empty, right? Uh, we went after some big free agent names that didn't land. Uh, the Japanese kid that signed with the, the Cincinnati the whole Mookie Betts deal uh, that didn't happen. At the end of the day, the ownership wants to improve uh, the team and make sure that, uh, you know, we get that extra bat. Uh, so th I'd say missing on those free agent signings, including Starlin Marte, who I believe was, was one of our big, big misses this uh, offseason, um, would be where the cup is the half empty, right? Where I see the cup being half full is going to be with these, with these guys we've talked about, you know, Frenchie. Uh, Grisham, the kid from Milwaukee, Myers, who's getting paid $20 million, who, you know, on a bad season can still run into a 2020 clip. Naylor, who's lost some pounds and uh, hopefully, you know, improves a little speed in the outfield and continues his hot stick. And then we got the defensive kid from the Mets, uh, Lugaris, who, you know, is a depth piece, but you never know. And uh, ultimately, if we could get one out of these guys, even two, then it's, it's where the cup is half full, and we uh, can expect some good production. Frenchy Cordero just had a great winter season in the Dominican, hitting 364, and mainly, and the most importantly, staying healthy. So if, if Frenchy can stay healthy, uh, I think we can see a big season. We've seen his potential. Um, you know, that bomb in Arizona, it opened a lot of eyes across baseball. So uh, that's the potential we see in Frenchy. But, uh, and then we have Taylor Trammell, you know, who's probably about two years away, but he's hitting the, hitting the heck out of the baseball in spring training. And he's going to be, a, again, another depth piece in the minor leagues for us. So uh, I'm excited just to see where the outfield takes us. And, uh, again, extra excited with Tommy Pham in our lineup. So we'll see what goes. Yeah, no, that's, that's great, George. Thank you. Uh, you know, speaking of Taylor Trammell, he spent a lot of time, I think, uh, trying to connect with Tommy Pham this spring. And, and I think that's only something that can benefit him. He's he's a tenacious player who's eager to, to make an impression. You know, he's in, in the Padres' big league camp. And you got to like his skills. Uh, certainly the Padres liked him. He came over, um, you know, from the Reds last year and, you know, I think was underwhelming at first. But then the Padres worked with him and, and adjusted his swing a little bit and certainly made an impression 
there at the end of the year um, for Amarillo. Uh, you know, I, I think when I think about this outfield, I think, you know, Tommy Pham's certainly the lock, and then there's just a lot of ifs. But if some of these players that we've just talked about, Grisham, Cordero, Naylor, um, you know, hit their stride, this outfield could be pretty dynamic. Um, there's a lot of excitement. And, you know, I, I think for me the question is, is Trent Grisham going to be a guy who kind of balances the lineup a little bit at the front of the uh, at the front of the front Padres lineup, maybe hitting second or third because they, they really need a left-hander at the top of the lineup? I don't think that Hosmer should be that guy. I think he's more maybe hitting fifth or sixth, to be honest, just based on the depth the roster has um, and, and how he performed last year. Um, and Frenchy Cordero, to be quite honest, if, if he's healthy, you know, with his power, you know, maybe he's a guy that hits fourth or fifth, you know, really with his, uh, his, his tools. So, you know, and, and we can't sleep on Josh Naylor. Um, um, and of course, Will Myers, I, I think Will Myers to me is a, is a wild card. I've struggled with Will Myers as a Padre for a long time. I think, you know, he, he comes out the gate sometimes and will have a, a great, um, month and then he'll disappear for six weeks. And I think, you know, from what I've heard from Will and, uh, this offseason, he's spent a lot of time um, focusing on how he can just be focused and, and how he can be a, a player that is um, steady and not getting in his head. And I think that's, you know, if, if we can get that kind of Will Myers, maybe we get a 2020 season out of him and, and, and that brings the value that of his $20 million. Um, but I, I think time will tell if, 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 if he gets dealt because the rumors are still there and I think the Padres... Nick, you and I talked this about about this offline. Is you know, the, it's a it's a bit of a, a black mark on the Preller era, the the Myers contract. Um, you know, any any final thoughts, guys, before we shift gears here on the outfield and, and from just what we talked about? Uh, I'll jump in on this, guys. Um, at the end of the day, with Myers, and you said it, Mark. Um, it's it's what's in between the ears for him. He's got the skill set. He's got the talent. Um, you just you, you just don't have two good months. And then you don't you forget to hit the baseball right. So it's game plan. It's being head ready, and it's him hitting the ball the opposite field. When he gets away from that, he starts opening up, swings at the slide piece, and and loses a swing completely. So uh, Myers has has the skill set, guys. And with more offense in this lineup and guys getting on base, hopefully he understands that he doesn't have to shoulder the load and he can relax his in at bats and and just hit the ball opposite field and work on that. He's certainly talented. He's certainly an athlete. I just I think that uh, you just hope you see the best from Will Myers this year. And you're, everybody's rooting for the guy. You just want him to be at his best. Nick, any final thoughts before we shift gears? No. If Trent Grisham can be the player that the front office for the Padres thinks he can be, it would go a long ways to showing up the center field position for many, many years. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Uh, well, great, great discussion, guys. I think I'd like to... To shift gears a little bit here, um, one of the most exciting players in camp is uh, young, uh, almost 21-year-old Mackenzie Gore. I think he's going to be turning 21 here just in a few days. Uh, dynamic, top pitching prospect in all of baseball, number five overall by MLB. Um, he's a pitcher, electric, electric left-hander, <clears throat> four pitches, um, been impressing in camp, has... I think he faced uh, Tatis and faced Machado. Um, I, I, Nick, I'm going to start with you. You, you have a uh, strong just background with uh, minor league development, talking about players and just your knowledge of, of players in the, in the minor league system. 
Can, can you give me a little background on what makes why why a Padre fan should be excited about McKenzie Gore and what makes him so special um, as a as a player that we should be looking towards uh, either this year or next to to take this team to the next level? Yeah, Mark. So I mean, the the whole thing with McKenzie Gore is I, I don't think the organization has really ever had a pitching prospect of the caliber of. Mackenzie Gore. And I think that's a bold statement. There's been some quality pitchers that have come through the system before. Uh, Jake Peavy kind of rings to, to bell, but Mackenzie Gore being the top pitching prospect in all of baseball, it's it starts off with supreme athleticism. He's able to repeat what looks like a, a fairly complex athletic delivery, and he's able to mimic that every single time and replicate it. That produces four depending on, on what day of the week you see him, um, you can see anywhere upwards of four-plus pitches. It's a fastball that usually will sit 94 to 96. Um, when you see him in certain starts, uh, give me an example, last year, exhibition against the Mex- Mexico City Diablos, uh, you were seeing him touching 98 miles an hour from the left-hand side. Wow. That's that's a special fastball from a, from a southpaw to begin with. The curveball shows plus the slider shows plus the changeup is what really separates him when depending on on what breaking ball he's feeling better with when you're able to throw sit or sit i should say 94 96 with the fastball then all of a sudden snap a mid 80s slider or mid 80s slider uh a high 70s curve and then also a changeup that usually has about a 10 12 mile an hour differentiator from the fastball that stuff that at the minor league level is just unfair. Um, most pitchers at the major league level that have four above average to plus pitches, you can usually count on one hand. Uh, and that's what makes Mackenzie Gore very special. You say, hey, how many left-handers in major league baseball possess that kind of stuff? And it's even a smaller group than that. So you, know, you want to see maybe a close comp just in terms of just stuff, like what Chris Sale is. Chris Sale is a plus fastball, plus slider. Depending on when you see him, could be a plus changeup as well. McKenzie's got four pitches, though, that he can throw at guys, and it's plus command and the competitiveness that just wants to beat you. Just like Chris Paddock, and this should remind Padre fans, Chris Paddock is just pining for the ball on opening day. He wants the ball in the big moment. He wants to pitch that big game. McKenzie Gore is right of that same ilk. He wants to be the guy. So all that together, that produces what should be a top rotation starter. Gotta love it, and uh, great, great, great stuff, Nick. And I would also say, you know, that the windup, that leg kick that he has, is 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 unlike something you see in the game. I mean, that's something that you would see back from the the '60s, '70s, like a Juan Marichal esque. Uh, it's just dynamic, um, keeps people's timing off, and he's going to be a special player. I'm ex- I mean, the Padres should be excited about the, the pitching they have. Some of it doesn't seem like it's developed, but I think he's going to be special here quick. So I'm uh, very excited about that. George, you know, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on, you know, what you think that we'll see from Mackenzie Gore and maybe, you know, give me, give me your thoughts on when you think you might see him, uh, you know, at Petco. Well, first off, I'm extremely excited for Mackenzie Gore to, to support the Pottery Brown. Um, Pottery fans, we should all be excited because in about a three-year span, we're not only going to be fielding probably one of our top pitching players of, you know, and I know it's early to say, but 
in terms of potential and forecast, Mr. Mackenzie Gore and Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr. So exciting times to be a pottery fan. Can't can't wait to you know see what happens. But uh, Mackenzie Gore is a special player, guys, and very very. Um, you don't hear this too often where you have these guys forecast to be the best and they go through their next three seasons and they make it happen. And so uh, this kid's been doing it. Tank mentioned he's got four plus pitches. Uh, he hasn't even cracked the major, the majors. He's got true ace potential. And uh, if you guys have been paying attention to the spring training videos, he's, he's hopped on the mound a couple times facing the Machados of the world and, you know, Tommy Pham and a couple guys in there. And, and to be quite honest, uh, making him look a little silly. And I know it's just spring training, but uh, Mackenzie Gore, I don't know if he cracks the rotation. Uh, Fernando Tatis described Gore as nasty, you know, and that's coming from one of the elite young players in the league right now. Uh, but Mackenzie Gore, I think, and I hate to talk about the contract and years of control, but nowadays you're looking at guys in that pedigree getting $30 million, $32 million, $35 a year. And at the end of the day, guys, you calling him up for three extra weeks is what you're sacrificing. And if you're trying to extend to Tease, Paddock, and a lot of the, these young guys we expect to see here for a while, I think ownership, you know, has to be smart in, in terms of when uh, they call up Gore, you know, and hopefully, uh, you know, once the, you know, the, that changes with the collective bargaining agreement and one, once that's up, maybe they'll readdress that. But ultimately, um, I don't think we see Gore in that starting rotation day one, but, um, you know, maybe a month in we do. George, yeah, I think you make a good point. Like, I, I think that the Padres have to be thinking about their, their, you know, Fernando Tatis. These are ball players they're going to have to sign in the future. And you got to almost space out uh, the Fernando Tatis, the Mackenzie Gore, the Chris Paddock, because these are all going to be contracts they're going to be looking for. And hopefully they're, they're thinking about it, extending some of these guys at some point. I mean, Padres have to be thinking about a contract for Fernando Tatis, Chris Paddock. You know, how do you lock these guys up for six, eight years at a young age? Um you know that's something where there's a, I think there's a lot of opportunity for for them. You know more on that, but to go back to your point, George, 21, 21 years old, uh, Mackenzie Gore and Fernando Tatis. I mean these are going to be the face of the franchise. Uh, last last thing I'll say on that is I think that Mackenzie Gore will be here by call it by June. Um, whether that's because of injury in the starting rotation or just simply he's just dominating at the minor league level. So very excited to see him. If you don't mind, I like to add this. You know me; I'm all, I'm all about comps, but I love Tank the Chris Sale uh, comp in terms of you know four four plus pitches, um, and then Clayton Kershaw has been the most common comp that he's gotten. So I think a lot has to do with the windup. And let's not take away this, guys. He's going to keep base runners at bay. You know, first off, he's got the lefty thing, and then with the leg kick and the deception, um, it's going to help us. Uh, you know, in terms of limiting base runners getting scoring position. So uh, I'm excited, guys. Can't wait. Yeah, Nick. Any final thoughts there on McKenzie? It's it's going to be very very exciting to, to see him throw his first pitch at Petco Park. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll just say as a as a Padre fan, a lifelong Padre fan, the the thought of having McKenzie Gore throw five six innings against the Dodgers and then sending it to the pen that we have is very exciting. Having McKenzie Gore, um, you know, bring it to the Dodgers is is what we've been waiting for. That's as a Padre fan. We, we, we want that. We want him to go into to, to Dodger Stadium and throw six shutout innings and then send it to the Padres' bullpen and take care of business. Uh, it's time to be excited. Um, with that, talking about Mackenzie Gore, one of our, 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 certainly our top prospect, um, the Padres, I'd like to segue into um, 
you know, talking a little bit about, uh, continue to talk about minor league players. Um, and Nick, this is something that, you know, you're, you've got quite a bit of experience in and, and, you know, tonight we just want to take a little bit of a deep dive into a few players that, uh, um, we're definitely excited about, um, the minor league system. And a couple of those guys, we'll, we'll talk about CJ Abrams and Hudson head, and then I'm going to leave it open for you to maybe give me a dark horse. So, uh, Let's spend a little time with uh, C.J. Abrams. This kid is a, um, you know, high schooler. The Padres drafted, I believe, number six overall. Um, I have a hard time believing how he fell to us at six. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. But um, dynamic player, um, off the charts from what we saw him from him last year. Tell tell me a little bit about this kid and why the Padres should be excited about him. The amazing thing about C.J. Abrams falling to six is the, the scouting reports felt like the the body was great, the athleticism was there uh, to be a, a top-end athlete at the major league level. The question mark was how good was the bat, how good was the bat-to-ball contact skills. Um, safe to say when you go to the Arizona League at 18 years old and you hit over 400, um, it kind of checks off that box and maybe that bat was a little bit more advanced than originally thought. Uh, but it, it's a true 80 on the speed, which is, if you equate that, let's say, to the major league level for, for our fans that don't know maybe what an 80 speed looks like, that's Billy Hamilton right there. So it, it's it's premium top-of-the-line speed. Now, unfortunately, most players that possess a 80 on the speed aren't usually getting on base enough to really take full advantage of that, like a Billy Hamilton. Uh, when you're looking at... at Mr. Abrams, now you're looking at, at a hit tool that's probably more like a 60. So when you're able to combine a 60 hit tool with the ability to have an 80 on the speed, that's uh, that's a very unique talent at the major league level. Plus, you're looking at a body that you can definitely see filling in a little bit more. It's 6'2", about 180 right now. You can see adding another 10 to 20 pounds over the next handful of years. got to remember, kid's 18, 19 years old. He's going to be for this almost entire season. So a little bit more man weight uh, over the next handful of years. See him settling into maybe like 6'2", a buck 95 to 200. Maintaining a lot of that speed with a little bit more over-the-fence pop. That's a special player. and There's not really a true comp at the major league level. And that's, I think, when you really see a special player, there's not exactly a true comp because it's, it's just a unique talent. I'm going to give you a chance to ask Nick a couple questions, follow-up questions to that, because I'll have some of my own, but I want to let you jump in here. Yeah, Tank, I'm not super excited for for C.J. Abrams. Seems like he's one of those guys that Preller, um, on that border borderline of uh, no trade zone, you know, kind of where, where Gore's down, kind of where Patino's hanging out. But when and where do you expect him to, to start for the Major League squad? Uh, what position and, and when do you think we'll be seeing him at Petco? Good question, George. So as of right now, obviously he was drafted as a shortstop, and on the majority of teams in major le- in the in the major leagues, he's going to stay at shortstop. Uh, but there's a some kid at Petco Park playing shortstop right now for the Padres. I don't think is going to be moving off of there anytime soon uh, for a minor leaguer. So uh, you're probably going to see him eventually slide to a position of need. The great thing with him is he's got the arm and athleticism to play. Basically anywhere across the diamond, um, he could even go to center field with that kind of speed and be a valuable asset up there. So uh, with him, 
he's going to start at Fort Wayne, and you could very well likely see if, if he continues the with the hit tool. Now he's not going to hit 400 at you know in the Midwest League, but if he shows the ability to to be a 300 plus hitter, start to show a little bit more of that pop and maintain the, the speed and, and the instincts and aptitude that he was able to show early on, he is not going to be too far away from that Fernando Tatis path. And if that's the case, then you're seeing him reach Petco just like Fernando Tatis at the age of 20. So definitely a possibility. What position uh, he lands at Petco will be kind of determined by what the major league roster is looking like at that time. Oh, that's great, Nick. I, I maybe should be super excited about him and, and to have untouchables from, uh, you know, you know, I think there's a, our, our top five are, I think, are debatable whether they're untouchable. I think Camposano is the name we've heard of most being thrown around as, as a guy who could potentially be dealt. But uh, C.J. Abrams, I think, is on that list. Mackenzie Gore is on that list. Patino seems like he's on that list, and unless there was some package that would be incredible to, to be a trade package. Um, yeah, I like him as a, a second baseman or a center fielder. He's got the speed. Uh, if he can develop the pop, I think we should even be more excited about him. He's got the hit tools. Uh, you know, certainly excited. Well, let, let's the shift shift gears a little bit. We'll continue to talk minor league baseball. Uh, Want to get your thoughts on uh, an exciting player the Padres drafted last year? Uh, this is uh, Hudson Head. Uh, as an outfielder, a very toolsy player, um, multi-sport athlete in high school, um, 18 years old. Uh, lots of excitement about him. And I guess the first question I want to ask you about him is how does this kid fall to the third round? How did the Padres get him in the third round? I understand they paid him a pretty penny. Um, but talk a little bit about how, why they got him in the third round and why they paid him what they did. Uh, I think that's an interesting part of this story. Yeah. So with, with Hudson head, you're looking at a supremely athletic kid. Um, you mentioned falling to the third round, he fell to the third round due to what seemed like a pretty strong college commitment to Oklahoma. Um, if he would have made it on campus at Oklahoma, he probably would have been a two-sport athlete, uh, would have played baseball, possibly football as well. Uh, you're looking at an athletic profile that's six foot one, 180 pounds, fast twitch kind of physique. Uh, that's going to allow him to play center field. It's a very smooth swing as well. So when we saw him at the Don Welke Classic, it was surprising power and that, that matched the athleticism. So it wasn't just the fast twitch athlete. It was somebody that had a, a smoothness to the swing that was not common with somebody who's usually a two-sport athlete at the high school level. It looked a little bit more sharp or a little bit more refined than that usually. So uh, with that being said about Hudson Head, it, one of the one of the players that was brought up by Padre coaches at Instructs that they were amazed at how quickly he was picking up things and how quickly he was advancing and progressing through those drills and, and through that camp. So it's definitely one of the players uh, to look out for throughout the 2020 season. He's probably going to be paired up along with C.J. Abrams at Fort Wayne to start the season. You're talking about two kids that are going to be 18, 19 years old for the majority of the 2020 season, and both have that same kind of star player capability. So definitely a, an exciting player to, to reach right there. Like I said, once again, the only reason why he went to the third round 
was due to that strong college commitment. A $3 million bonus ended up paying him mid-first-round money is what ultimately did the trick and bought him out of that commitment. He seems like a guy who's probably going to be moving up that list pretty fast. Uh, when they when they redo the MLB prospect list, you know, I, I envision him being a top 100 guy at some point. Obviously, if he proves at the next level that he can play it at a high level. Um, very exciting. You know, guys, we're going to be in spring training here soon, and I'm looking forward to um, to be able to talk to players like this, especially um, Hudson Head and C.J. Abrams. So um, very, very exciting time. Um, so, Nick, I'm going to wrap up with – on this segment, one final thing. I want you to give me. Okay, I know you have one. I need. I need your dark horse. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you one position player, and I'm going to give you one pitcher. So for the position player first, uh, in a system that is very deep in catching, from the major league level, Francisco Mejia to Luis Torrens, Luis Camposano, I'm going to tell you Blake Hunt. So he's going to be able to spend the year at Lake Elsinore. It's more of a hitter's league than the Midwest league he was at. It's an advanced defensive profile. It's a large frame for a catcher already being 6'3", 215. That is going to play. Um, He definitely has the profile of a starting catcher in the future. We're talking about how deep that part of the system is. Like I said, he can get overlooked a little bit. But I think he's going to really have more of a breakout year at Lake Elsinore, just like Luis Camposano had last year at Lake Elsinore. I think Blake Hunt's going to kind of carry the torch from him and really be one of those premier performers for the Storm this year. Now, in terms of pitching, I'm really going to go deep in the well on this one. And I'm going to look for, at one of our J2 signings from this year, I'm going to look for Mr. Brian Medina. Brian Medina is one of the strongest-armed J2 kids to come out in quite some time. So it's an ultra-athletic profile. He's going to probably start in one of the Arizona Summer League teams um, because that kind of arm is not going to stay on the island uh, and face kids that have zero (laughs) plate discipline uh, in the Dominican Summer League. So you're going to see him probably start in Arizona, but it's a fastball that sits 94 to 97. This is coming from a kid who's going to be 17 years old during the, the Arizona Summer League season. It's, a, like I said, an ultra-athletic build, though, that's 6'4", about a buck seventy-five. So, obviously, you can see plenty of room to fill in. A lot of man weight's going to be put on over the next handful of years. But it's one of those arms that typically, if he can locate properly, which obviously is a huge if, but that kind of stuff usually doesn't stay at the lower levels of the minor league system for very long. And if he gets to Arizona and shows he can command that fastball, you might see an arm that's definitely climbing the system a lot quicker than the usual J2 signing. Nice. No, that's great. George, I want to kick it over to you real quick. Uh, um, actually, I realized I didn't give you an opportunity to jump in there real quick on our, our last uh, discussion of uh, uh, regarding Hudson Head. But any thoughts on um, – uh, any questions on uh, Hudson Head or specifically the other gentleman that uh, the dark horses that Nick had mentioned? Yeah, no, just back to Hudson Head, uh, Nick. I just wanted to ask, see what affiliate you think uh, you'll see him playing mostly in, and then um, you know who would you comp him to in terms of his skill set and his, his tools? You know, who would you say he, uh, you know, at the current major league level, who would it be as comparable? He's definitely going to start at uh, Fort Wayne. I see him being the starting center fielder on the Fort Wayne team. Uh, 
Uh, in terms of a comp at the major league level, um, you're looking at an athletic left-hander, a little bit of power. Uh, power he's definitely going to grow into, but more of a, a speed defense profile at the moment. Uh, I could definitely see a Cole Calhoun kind of profile, but more of a center field uh, defensive profile as opposed to a corner. But I see a lot more bat potential um, with the hit tool than I see with Calhoun. But uh, as of right now, maybe more of a, a Cole Calhoun that can play center with a little bit more hit. Uh, but the ceiling is considerably higher, though. So, Nick, real quick then on uh, Blake Hunt. So when you were talking about him, I, I'm aware of his his size and you talking like I know Matt Wieters is a I think a switch hitting switch switch hitter. Is is Blake Hunt kind of along the lines of a Matt Wieters in terms of a of a comp? Like, is there any anyone you can think of in the recent history that would compare to him? Um, just trying to give give our listeners here a, a thought of maybe who who he might remind us of. Well, I'll tell you the the physical profile, and this might scare some. Some old school Padre fans. He's going to give you the physical profile of a Ben Davis. Uh, it, it's a very long, lean, strong catcher. Uh, at the same time, Ben Davis never really put it together at the major league level with the bat. Um, that's something I think Blake Hunt has a lot more potential with. Uh, if you had to use a, a major league comp, I don't think it's too far fetched to, to look a little bit more uh, in, in the Midwest there and, and see a guy like Sally Perez who, with a, as a big-bodied catcher, is able to be a, a plus defender and use some of that for some of that uh, that muscle strength that Sally's able to use in Kauffman Stadium. So, Blycon's not exactly the same girth that, uh, that Sally Perez is, but if you're looking at that big-bodied catcher having successes at the major league level, I think that's right there. Nice. Well, I just want to thank you real quick before we move on to the next segment is I appreciate bringing up the the name Ben Davis. It's a name doesn't get kicked around too much with in Padre baseball. But I, I personally want to thank Ben Davis myself for the his hit against Kurt Schilling, breaking up Kurt Schilling's perfect game. Um, this was quite a while ago, so some Padre fans may not remember this, but he it was a bunt single, and in in in, in baseball land that's kind of a no no a lot of times. But I, I think because there, there was a big discussion at the time when this happened and. I don't know if you guys remember this specifically. He he had a bunt single. Padres were down by, I believe, two runs. And so it, it was one of those debatable moments where, okay, you break up a guy's no-no with a with a bunt hit, but at the same time, you, you someone gets on base, who, which Ben Davis did, someone hits a home run, now you're tied. And so it was one of those moments where, you know, I think a lot of Bob Renly, the manager at the time of the Diamondbacks, had many choice words for the Padres. Um, but... You know, I personally want to make sure I thank Ben Davis for that. I never had a chance to do that. So, um, all right, guys, uh, we're going to wrap up that segment and we're going to move on. Last topic here. It's been all over baseball, the Astros and the cheating scandal. This is not going away. Um, we don't have to be uh, a dead horse here because I think we can touch this from many different angles. But I, I feel like each one of us has something unique to bring to this and has a, an idea that you know, how we feel about this. Um, so I want to give each of you guys an opportunity. Um, th there's a, you know, obviously the scandal goes back to 2017. Uh, the Astros cheated. And we know about it. Um, and we're starting to see a lot of, a lot of uh, talk from other players around the league and they're expressing their, 
frustration with the organization. Um, Nick, I want to start with you. Um, what what is your thoughts? And let's let's uh, you know just give me your take. Uh, we only have a few more minutes here, so I want to know quickly what each of you think about this, um, just so we can kind of like uh, cover this topic a little bit, but not at nauseum like we've seen uh, in the national media. Yeah, so, so real quick, kind of a, a funny story that happened today. So the Nationals and the Astros, I believe, were having an exhibition today to kind of kick off spring training. And there were some fans at the ballpark who literally had signs talking, you know, a little bit of smack uh, towards the Astros. And literally, stadium personnel came by and took their signs. So, unfortunately, on the first day of uh, games in spring training in the 2020 season, it's uh, readily apparent that the Astros are still stealing signs. So, <laughs> I'm on the, the U Darvish path here, where uh, U Darvish mentions, hey, if you are caught cheating in the Olympics, they take away your medal. Well, in every other sport, for the most part, if you're found out to be a cheater and you won under the premise of cheating, they take away your prize, your trophy, your, your commandment. Well, in the major leagues, they, they don't do that. And that's unusual, to say the least. But I totally agree with you, Darvish, that you know, if this championship was won through the use of cheating, then it should be barred, taken away, an asterisk applied to it, um, instead of allowing them to maintain what Rob Manfred fed, or said uh, unfetteredly, a hunk of metal. Um, it is, I think, something that players think is a little bit more than that. But... Uh, I think it definitely cheapens the World Series title a little bit when you allow a team to win it and stay winners through the use of cheating. Absolutely. It's a great take, and um, just appreciate your thoughts there. Uh, George, I want to go to you and get your thoughts, and I'll, and I'll wrap up. Yeah, for me, guys, uh, I mean, there's there's several, several layers to this whole cheating scandal, right? Uh, there's the act of cheating. Uh, there's the lack of accountability of the cheating. There's the penalty, um, the lack of the penalty. And the so, you know, as they say, just move on and let's get over it, right? And so that continues to show lack of accountability. And I think that's where a lot of the fans have a problem. Um, Manfred should have put this completely in the players' union lap, in Tony Clark's lap. And Manfred wouldn't look like, you know, the bad commissioner that he's come off looking because if he did his job and penalized some players... Now, Tony Clark has a decision to make, right? And uh, unfortunately, the players all got immunity. And, you know, now that you have, you know, players outside of the sport in LeBron James, you got Mike Trout speaking up, who usually kind of minds his business. Um, it's becoming a bigger deal. So I don't know if Manfred is going to move on, you know, the reactions or to let it just kind of slide and hope time kind of, you know, heals all wounds, as they say, for the Astros. But they're going to hear it for 81 games on the road, rightfully so. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm hearing players on the Astros saying that they're hearing this and that. You know, they're getting mean messages from people, and I never, you know, I don't want people's families to be threatened, but, you know, every action causes a reaction, and their action was cheating. And so um, they're going to pay for it, and they're, and it's going to be a long season for them. So we'll see. Yeah, thanks, George. And, and for me, Major League Baseball did not address this uh, appropriately. Um, you know, I think, Nick, you said it best, the – the, the Astros needed to be penalized. The players need to be penalized. Not, not taking a look at this is, is, is it's a stain on baseball and it's going to be talked about all season long. And one thing I think it's 
I'm going to be somewhat short about this because we've heard about a lot of this, but you know, the, the Astros, um, one of the big things about this Astros scandal that's a concern to me is the, the fans, like the Astros fans, um, like we're, we're passionate about the Padres. We're doing a podcast about the, uh, the team that we love. Think about if you're an Astro fan, now you're, you're the stain of major league baseball. I, I, I've, if you're on social media, you see, you know, if you're a fan, do you, do you go to bat for your team? I've seen, you know, people spending hours of their day on Twitter actually, you know, going off about trying to, to protect them. And, you know, that's just a, a tough place to be in if you're an Astro fan. If you've been a fan of them forever, like, what, what do you, where do you stand? Um, it, it's just a tough situation. So with that, guys, great show. Gentlemen, thank you for joining. And uh, we'll talk soon. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Friar Lounge Podcast. For more awesome content about your San Diego Padres, visit our website, friarlounge.com, or check us out on Twitter or Facebook. Have a great week, and go Padres!